This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. As a child, I asked my mother, how much do you love me? Then she threw her arms wide open for my little eyes to see. Then she told me of the Savior on a hill so far away. When I heard how much he loved me, my life has never been the same. I love you this much. Then he story memorize John 3:16 but sometimes we take for granted how he died for you and me when my heart fails to be thankful for the price he paid for my sin. Just take me back to Calvary to see those opened arms again.
What a powerful song. Thank you, Rob. Wow, what a great, great reminder. Amazing love for us. Would you please open your Bibles to the book of John? We'll be looking at chapter 4. John chapter 4. While you are looking for that, uh, let me just say that some of the most remarkable individuals I've ever met served Jesus despite horrible and even tragic circumstances. Life-altering accidents didn't shake their faith. Incurable health issues didn't cause them to waver. These and other situations, can I just say it? They didn't suck the spiritual life out of them. They, they had joy. They still had peace. There was something different about the way they lived their lives. I'm currently reading a, a book entitled The Language of God. The author is, is a man by the name of Dr. Francis Collins, and uh, he's not a household name, but he served as the director of the Human Genome Project. Now, all of you are super smart, otherwise you wouldn't be coming to this church, but um, so, so I know you are aware of what the word genome means, but just in case you're like me and need a review, the, the dictionary defines genome as this, the haploid set of chromosomes in a gamete or in each cell of multicellular organisms. So now you know exactly what it is, but um, really simplifying it, and, and probably this is an oversimplification, so just kind of work with me on this, but generally speaking, a genome is an organism's complete set of genes or DNA. And Dr. Collins was given the assignment to put together a team to map the entire human genome, which consists of three billion letters or called base pairs inside of every single one of the 724 trillion cells in the human body, and you'll be glad I won't test you on this information. All you have to remember, this is what you do have to remember, as the Bible says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? But, but anyway, the project he was leading was to help predict how diseases would impact families or family systems. And, and I know there are ethical concerns with this type of project, so I'm not, not sanctioning this, but just know that Dr. Collins was very, very bright. And, and, and all of that to say, really, when Francis Collins was 27 years old, in his third year of med school, he worked as an intern at a hospital in North Carolina. And as he would do his rounds, he would come across people who had terminal illnesses that knew it was just a matter of time before they passed away. Well, where he was in, in North Carolina, he found that a fairly high percentage of the terminal patients identified themselves as Christians. And so they kept talking about how their faith was sustaining them, and even though they knew they were going to die, yet it was okay because they were ready. They knew that heaven was awaiting them, and, and they would be reunited with other followers of Jesus that had already gone on before them. Now, Dr. Collins had grown up in a home where both of his parents were, were spiritually casual at best and, and probably maybe closer to being agnostic. And, and so when he met these terminally ill patients, it was, um, it, 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 it was kind of unnerving and, and surprising to him. In fact, in his book, he talks about wondering why these people who, who had cancer and other incurable diseases were not uh, we're not shaking their fist at God, and we're not mad at Him and saying, well, if God were a loving God, then, th then He would heal me, or we, He would have never let me come down with this incurable, incurable disease. But there was none of that. 
even though their prayers for healing were not being answered, yet they still had a strong faith. They were not bitter towards God. They had peace and joy, and this was so perplexing to him. Well, one afternoon, he walked into a patient's room at the hospital. The patient was an elderly woman who obviously would be dying in a short time. And in their previous conversations, uh, in the days leading up to this particular day, she had talked about her faith and heaven and all of that. But on this day, as they were chatting back and forth out of the clear blue, she said, Doctor, I've told you what I believe, but what do you believe? And this question stunned him. He said it it caused his face to turn red. He began to stammer. He didn't know how to answer. And so he just blurted out, "Well, well, I'm not really sure what I believe. Well, that question eventually changed his life, and he went on and said, really interesting quote here. He said, faced with my willful blindness, and he said that because he had never made an effort to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ, so faced with my willful blindness and my arrogance, he said, I decided to go on a journey to see what could be seen and to try to discover what could be discovered, and in the end, he discovered that the claims of Christ were so compelling that he eventually became a follower of Jesus. Well, as we turn to the book of John, the the apostle John in, in some ways had a very similar testimony to that of Dr. Collins. As a Jewish boy, even though he was not an agnostic because he believed in Yahweh, you know, the, the, the Yahweh that was kind of the big, uh, at a distance Yahweh, yet he was skeptical about the claims of Christ. But then, just as Dr. Collins met this lady that was so peaceful and joyful in the face of death, so did John meet a man that had something about him that others didn't have. And so, John decided to follow Jesus around. And for the next three and a half years, John came to realize that Jesus was truly the Son of God. And and so, the Gospel of John is, is John telling what he had seen and experienced as he followed Jesus around. But here's the most important thing. John was not just content to tell us what happened. This was not just an informational book or an historical book. John had an agenda, a very specific agenda. And right near the end of uh, of the book of John, he gives this agenda. He gives this kind of like his purpose statement for the entire book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, and then we're going to come back to John chapter 4. But these are written... Here it is, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John's goal was for us to do what he had done and what Dr. Collins eventually did was to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and through him, we could have eternal life. And and what's interesting, John's strategy, it appears, was to give stories of people who were changed, changed because they had heard about or saw something in somebody else that was different, yet so very attractive. Now, if you were here last week, we, we talked about Jesus healing the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. And, and I told you, it seems that we as Christians are focused on so many things right now. We're focused on the different controversial aspects of COVID-19. And, and I really don't need to mention this because you know this. One of the raging debates is whether or not to mask up. And is getting ugly across the country. 
You have those saying, well, I ain't masking up. They can't tell me what to do. And, and then you've got the other side. They feel just as strongly, you know, please mask up. This could save my life. It could save your life. It could save my grandmother's life who is immune compromised. And then, of course, last week the debate here locally was, okay, should we go to the Founders Day picnic? And here's what, ha- what is happening. Instead of this pandemic bringing us closer to Jesus, it's dividing us. It has taken our focus off of Jesus. Instead of our energy going into getting closer to God, it seems to be resulting in ugly debates that pull us away from each other, even as brothers and sisters in Christ, and away ultimately from Jesus. In fact, a Barna study was released this past week, and it troubled me. It, it troubled me because it said that only one in three Americans has gone back to church, which I'm okay with that. It's understandable. Some don't need to be out yet. But what, what was so troubling to me, so disturbing, is that another one in three have basically lost any spiritual connection. They're not watching the live stream of any services. They're not spending personal time with God. They, they basically become quarantined not only from the body of Christ, but quarantined from any meaningful contact with God. That is so troubling to me. And so because of all of that, last week I, I felt the need, last Sunday and I, I still feel the burden to try to redirect our focus back to Jesus. And, and and can I just say it just as a Cedar County boy? I, I believe we need to quit looking at the news so much and quit spending so much of our time debating aspects of this pandemic and maybe even take a hiatus from Facebook. And we need to look back to Jesus. You know, let's let the experts debate this. They admit they don't have things figured out yet. That's, that's why the recommendations keep changing. This, this is called a novel virus. You know what that means? That, that means that it hadn't been discovered before, and so they don't know everything about it. Let's let the experts study this and debate this, and, and can the rest of us, the non-experts, which I'm a non-expert, and you are too, can we just put our energy into following Jesus. Thank you for listening to me and not throwing rotten eggs. Um, (laughs) Last week, Jesus went south from Galilee up to Jerusalem. So we said he went up south because Jerusalem is a city set on a hill. Today, Jesus is down the hill north of Jerusalem. So I guess we could say that Jesus went down north. Jesus is in Cana of Galilee. Does anybody remember anything that took place in Cana? Some people, this is their favorite miracle. Turn water into wine. And and I've got a a bottle of wine from Cana of Galilee in my office. I thought about bringing it in here, you know, popping it open. Some of you would be disappointed because it's 0% proof. But I don't know, I've had it quite a few years, so maybe it's not by now. But... uh, Anyway, t- today our, our, our lesson is in John chapter 4, and this takes place as well in Cana of Galilee. So here's how everything unfolds in verse 46, John chapter 4. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, two really important details I need to point out here. First of all, that this royal official lived in Capernaum. Capernaum was about an eight-hour walk from Cana, where Jesus currently was. 
The second important detail is that he, he was, he's a royal official, which means he was probably fairly wealthy. More than likely, he did not walk the eight hours to get to Cana. He probably rode three hours in a chariot or at least on the back of a horse. Also, because he was an official, more than likely, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, he was a Sadducee. Now, if you were raised in church, you've heard the terms Pharisee, Sadducee. The Pharisees believed that God was involved in the details of life. They, they also believed for the most part that there would be a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were also religious, but they would today we would probably classify them as being liberal. Because they weren't so sure there was an afterlife. They believed that fate kind of dictated everything. And, and then, of course, the biggest difference between them and the Pharisees was they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. But in our scripture, on this particular day... All of those things faded into the background. It, it didn't matter that he was an official. It didn't matter that he was wealthy. Because in this man, on this day, there was a sense of desperation. Isn't it interesting that so many of those things that we hold as being important in our lives, you know, our money, our jobs, our degrees, our houses, our cars, all of those things fade when someone we love is on the verge of dying. And that's what's happening in our lesson. This father who was rich, influential, is used to being waited on hand and foot. On this day, none of that matters because he's a father who is nearly out of his mind because his little boy is about to die. But then word circulates around to him that in Capernaum, uh, you know, eight hours away by foot in, in a place called, by, by foot in, in a place called Cana, there's a man named Jesus who's been able to heal some pretty sick people. And in his desperation, he begins to wonder, do you, do you think this man could heal my son? But, but then his mind probably reverts back to his belief system. As a Sadducee, again, they believed, we say, uh, they believed as we say in Spanish, que sera, sera. Anybody ever hear that? Que sera, sera. And in other words, what will be, will be. And fate predetermines everything. And so he probably thought that if if that's the way it really is, the way that he had believed, then it would be a waste of time to even consider seeking healing from this man. And so in his mind, there was probably a battle. Do I go? Do I stay? Do I go and run the risk that my son will die while I'm gone and I'll end up losing these last hours with him, maybe not even be there to tell him goodbye when he passes? Or do I take a chance at this man if I pay him enough make the offer attractive enough that this man might actually be able to push back the laws of fate and perhaps heal my son. Well, in his desperation, he decides to go against his belief system. He decides to take a risk and go find this man. So he probably tells his wife, honey, I'm going. I know our theological position is that everything is all predetermined. Fate will decide our son's future. But, but honey, I'm so desperate. I'm willing to do anything. That's our son's only chance to live. And so maybe he barks orders to the servants, you know, saddle the fastest horses and, and be quick about it. Well, a short time later, his servants lead the horses up to him and he jumps in the chariot or maybe on the back of a horse and they go galloping towards Cana. Well, after probably around three hours, he gets to Cana and begins looking for Jesus. And that's easy to find him because all he had to do was look for the crowd. And he gets to the crowd, gets off the horse and or out of the chariot, and he pushes his way through the crowd. And, and maybe people are saying, how rude. Who do you think you are? Quit 
pushing, quit shoving me. I was here first. But that doesn't phase him. He keeps working his way up to this man that's addressing the crowd. And finally, he's close enough. And he just blurts out. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. Listen to what he says in verse 47. He went to him and begged him. Catch that word, begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now the word begged basically carries the meaning that he put all dignity to the side, to one side. He put his position in society as a wealthy official. He put aside his doctrinal position that whatever happened will happen. His son was dying. He didn't care about protocol. He didn't care about theology. He didn't care that people thought he was being rude. He was so desperate. He pushed his way right up to Jesus and probably interrupted him and said, Jesus, my son is dying. And maybe he added, money is no issue. I will pay you whatever you ask. Just please come back with me to my house and heal my son. Some of you have been there, haven't you? You know what it means to be desperate. You know what it is to see your spouse of many years losing interest in the marriage. You know what it is to see your spouse of many years taking his or her last breaths. You know what it means to have a child go down the wrong road and you literally would do anything. You would give up any savings just to see them come to their senses. Many of you know what it is to experience desperation. Well, what Jesus says next seems to be so insensitive, but it's only because of the English translation. In a way, it's almost like Jesus ignores the man and goes back to addressing the large crowd that's gathered around him. He says in verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, you, to, to, to understand this, we, we've got to realize that this was probably a typical crowd. When you have a large crowd, most of the time people are not paying much attention. They're just kind of milling around, visiting with each other. And, and it appears from this verse that this crowd was there mainly out of curiosity. They were not taking Jesus seriously. And so that's why he says to this crowd that's only half tuned in, it doesn't look like you will ever believe me or accept me unless I do a big miracle. Well, back to the royal official. It seems that the royal official has a one-track mind. And you would understand that. There's desperation. Nothing else matters at the moment. And so he jumps in again, says, Jesus, sir, please listen to me. And he says, sir, come down before my child dies. I'm begging you. Please do me a favor. Come back with me. You can ride in my chariot. We'll even bring you back to Cana. Just name your price, but please come and save my boy's life. So how did Jesus respond? Well, Jesus asks this royal official to trust him, which is the same thing he's asking you to do as well. In fact, it's the same thing he's been asking people to do in the 2,000 years following that incident. Jesus turns to him in verse 50 and says, you may go, your son will live. Go. And the original Greek text carries the idea, go on about your business. You know, I don't need to go back with you and just go on back. You don't need to hurry. You don't need to worry. Take me at my word and your son will live. 
And this is so relevant for us today. Because again, we're also asked to take Jesus at his word. We're asked to entrust our lives to Jesus. We're asked to entrust our health to Jesus. Listen, we're asked to entrust our finances to Jesus. We're asked to entrust our children, our our healthy children, our sick children, our wayward children. We're asked to entrust them to Jesus. We're we're asked to entrust Jesus to the uh, to, to Jesus, the outcome of this pandemic that has so drastically changed our lives. We're asked to entrust to him the fear that many of us are carrying around. Well, when Jesus told the official to just go and his son would live, I, I wonder if the royal official had to kind of take a couple of moments to process this. I mean, he was not used to being turned down. His money, his influence, his power had always gotten him whatever he wanted. He could just buy it. So maybe he just kind of goes silent and stares at Jesus for a couple of moments while he goes back to teaching and then maybe starts working his way back through the crowd. You know, excuse me, you know, pardon me, could I get through here? Sorry, uh, excuse me. And he works his way back to his servants that were waiting a little distance away with the chariot or the horses. But before he gets into the chariot, listen, before he gets into the chariot, he makes a decision that not only changes his life, but also changes the trajectory of the life of his little boy. He makes a decision to believe Jesus. And finishing out verse 50, it says, the man took Jesus at his word. Because Jesus had said, go, your son will be okay, will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Where? Started back home. And, and what I want to point out is he believed Jesus took him at his word before he knew whether or not his son was even alive. He could have died. He took Jesus at his word. Well, in verse 51, while he was still on the way, still making the trip back to Capernaum, his servants met him. And don't you know that when he sees them, his heart has to jump into his throat because even though he had made a decision to take Jesus at his word, do you ever have doubts? You've made a decision to trust Jesus. Do you ever have doubts? Anybody? Of course you do. And, and so he had to have doubts and he's wondering, okay, are they coming with the good news that my boy's been healed or with bad news that he's died? But the news was good, said came with the news that his boy was living. Well, all of a sudden, this man had a burning question. He had to know what time it was when his son got better. In verse 52, it says, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And I, I get chills thinking about this 2,000 years later because verse 53, then the father realized that was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so maybe the father wipes tears from his eyes and tells the chariot driver, get these horses moving. (laughs) And the horses start galloping and he says, can't you get these old plugs to go any faster? And he can hardly wait to see his son who has been healed. Well, his wife has probably been looking for him and she sees the entourage off in the distance and she meets him in the yard, yells, honey, You won't believe this. And he said, I already know. 
And about that time, the boy comes outside, and I can just envision this royal official jumping out of the chariot or off the horse, and he grabs the boy and hugs him and kisses him, and, and then maybe he says, I've got to tell you how all this went down in Cana. Servants, come here. I, I want you all to hear the rest of the story. And so he goes through the story, and do you want to know what happened? Verse 53, it says, so he and all his household, and the Greek word for household is oikos, which means not only the immediate family, but the extended family and maybe even the servants. Uh, the, the literal translation of oikos is the circle of influence. So he and all his household believed. Now again, as I always caution you, serving Christ and walking by faith doesn't mean that you will always get your prayers answered the way you want. Walking by faith doesn't mean that everyone will always live happily ever after. But here's what it means to walk by faith. Have you ever wondered what it means to walk by faith? Walking by faith is living every single day of your life knowing that Jesus is who he claims to be and he is trustworthy. Jesus claims to be the Son of God. He's trustworthy. Walking by faith is what, what some of you would remember the old timers saying. I've heard some of you say this here in this church. Live or die, sink or swim, survive or perish. God is still a good, good Father. The reason Christianity changed the world was not because everyone always got their prayers answered. Not at all. But one of the reasons that Christianity spread across the world was because people began to see that when Christians went through dark days, when they experienced tragedies, when they experienced pandemics, they still trusted Jesus. In fact, the darker the night, the brighter the light. That's what got the attention of Dr. Francis Collins. Seeing a terminally ill lady living her last days with peace and calmness and assurance caused him to pause and eventually seek Jesus. And, and hearing about this man named Jesus that lived life differently, that lived life with love and compassion and peace, is what got the attention of this royal official and caused him to make the journey from Capernaum to Cana. And keeping your eyes on Jesus despite unanswered prayers, despite sicknesses that won't be healed, despite husbands who won't come home, despite kids who aren't turning around, despite adults who are acting like children, despite the dark days of the coronavirus and the chatter of an angry and fickle world on social media, you're walking by faith, you're keeping your eyes on Jesus, showing love and peace and calmness will impact others because you never know who is watching you. Can, can I just say this? Your strong opinions on whether or not to mask up, even if you think your opinion is backed by medical professionals, which, by the way, you can find medical professionals that back any position you have, but your strong opinions on to mask up or not to mask up will never, ever, 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 ever lead anyone to Christ. Save your breath. Your strong opinions 
on politics will never, ever, 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 ever lead anyone to Christ. Save your breath. But your sweet spirit, not your ugly posts, strong posts on Facebook, but your sweet spirit, your joy, even if someone doesn't agree with your position, your peace, your reflection of Jesus in the in the face of horrible times will show people that there is something wonderfully different about you. I'll close with this. Dr. Francis Collins says this. It's not enough to read the notes on the pages. At some point you have to hear the music. And my hope and my prayer is that sometime this week you will hear the music. Uh, Not literally but that Jesus will become real to you. That as you back away from the debates and the ugliness of what is going on, that you will have some meaningful time with Jesus. As your pastor, my my passion-filled request of you is this. Please live your life differently than the rest of the world. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you're involved in debates over all of the stuff that's going on right now, would you back off of that? Because, again, your strong opinions will not cause anyone to come closer to Jesus. But your sweet spirit, your loving spirit, your reflection of Jesus Christ. That's what will make a difference. You never know who is watching you. You never know who is watching you when you make that ugly post. You never know who is watching you. You never know who is watching you when you show peace and assurance. So, church, look back to Jesus. Last week, that was my burden. This week, it's still my burden. Look back to Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Let me pray for you, Lord. I I guess I pray for myself first. God, I ask that you would help me to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I, I think probably one of the reasons that I felt such a heaviness this morning was because maybe my eyes were kind of wandering away from Jesus and getting on just the fray of all, all the stuff going on today. And Lord, as I see such division in America and division in our community and division even among people who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ and just the ugliness. And Lord, there's a blessing of social media, but there's also a curse. But Lord, help me to get my eyes back on Jesus. Father, I pray for those that are here that are listening. I pray that this week they would make a conscious effort to uh, back away from all of the debates. Lord, that they would just show a Christ-like spirit. Lord, that they would not get involved in the heated discussions that can be backed by all kinds of medical professionals. But Lord, that we would just pray for our medical professionals, that we would pray for our governing officials because they need wisdom. They they haven't figured this thing out. They're trying to figure it out. And 
that's why their position changes sometimes after just a few days because research shows different things and and it appears that this virus is mutating it's changing and and so god i i pray that we would just really really focus on praying uh, for wisdom lord that there, there would be something that would maybe change just the the, the whole trajectory of, of this virus right now where we're, we're looking at a situation with no end in sight. It's, it, it is gaining momentum here in America. And, and God, I pray that there would be something, some uh, breakthrough in medicine. And Lord, let us just pray for them. And then God, let us make it our main goal to just look at Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, and, and to just be a reflection of him. So God, take us from here to a dark, dark world, but let us have a bright light. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence, for your word, your advice. We ask this in your name. Everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.